Welcome to Adversarial Distancing. Living for today. Yeah. Imagine there is no countries yet. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Okay, we're rolling. Awesome. Uh, so welcome everyone. Uh, this is Joel. This is sort of a unusual episode in that uh, our guest again, not again to you, but again to us, is Joanza Joseph. Uh, we recorded an episode with him uh, a few weeks ago, and then you know, as always, I was pretty derelict in editing it, and it has been sitting on my hard drive. Um, and then, you know, in the meantime, uh, a lot of things happened in the world. Uh, with George Floyd and, and protests and, you know, a lot of unrest and, and a lot of really grappling with racism and, and things that are going on. Um, and, you know, Joanza actually went and wrote a blog post about how racism has shaped his habits in his life. Um, and in light of that, it felt kind of weird to go and put out this sort of frivolous episode that's only about technology um, and only about us joking around with all the stuff that's going on in the world. Um, and so, you know, we talked to Johansson and said, hey, you know, do you want to come and, you know, revisit uh, things we talked about and, and sort of record a new beginning of the episode where, you know, we talk about, you know, one, your blog post, and two, like, what's going on out there, uh, and, and so on. Um, and so Johansson was, uh, you know, graceful enough to, agree to that so you know welcome again yeah welcome back yeah it's good good to be back again so um so anyways as says so interesting times how are like how are you doing w with everything that's going on in the world how 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 does it affect you on a day-to-day -day? yeah um that's a, a hard question to answer but i'll try my best i, I think the the way that it affects me is, you know, being being black and being living in Salt Lake City, uh, the suburbs of Salt Lake City, and um, you know, being kind of removed a little bit from like the the more like the larger protests that are happening in, in bigger cities, and um, you know, being in like I'm pretty embedded in my in my majority white community. And um, you know, like knowing the history that I've had with you know, racism, and you know, wanting to to be kind of a more vocal or speak out a little bit more, but also being in this kind of position of privilege where like we we have like the nicest house around here, and um, we are pretty like well known in my community, my my family, and so like what what to say, you know, what to do. Um, that, that kind of stuff has been really challenging. And, you know, my, my blog post that, I, that you mentioned was yeah, my first attempt to kind of summarize, like the thing I think would be the most helpful is to help people to know that, you know, racism is, is out there. Like people are, there are racist people and, you know, racist systems and they affect people. Um, and even people that you might know that don't seem like they're affected by it. Uh, and so, that's uh, grappling with that and, and the, the kind of toll that, that puts on me. And then 
you know, also just kind of where to best put my effort, whether that's donate, donating money, donating time, uh, you know, being more of a voice has been challenging as well. So th those are the two places where I feel like I spent a lot of my energy the last like two weeks. Mm -hmm. How, what is, what is the response been like to your blog post? So a lot of people reached out about it. Yeah, it was really overwhelming. Um, so, so far I have, so I shared it on um, LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook and on Instagram. And on each of those platforms, I had about a hundred DMs. So people reaching oh out to God. me saying, Hey, thank you for writing this. Um, I had no idea that you experienced this, that you experienced this in Utah. Um, hey, you expressed what I was hoping to express so eloquently. Thank you. Um, and then also I had a couple different news outlets reach out. Um, they didn't end up using any of it, uh, but I did a couple interviews just talking about it uh, with different outlets. And uh, it's been really overwhelming. Like it's still going on. Um, you know, if I open up Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn, like my, my DMs are still over flooded, but uh, it's been all positive. I, I think I only got like one negative reaction from someone who, um, yeah, I, I won't go into it, but they <laughs> one negative reaction out of like hundreds of positive ones where people were really supportive. Uh, a lot of people were surprised. Like, um, I, I think, like I mentioned earlier, just living in Utah and you know, be really being pretty embedded in this community. Um, it, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't occur to someone that, you know, this is the way that I think about how to navigate life safely. Um, or, and it, I think it was good. It helped help to kind of start a lot of discussions, which is something that people reached out to me, like people I didn't talk to since high school said, Hey, this really helped me talk to my mom and dad about racism because they didn't have a good jumping off point. So I've been really happy with the, with the kind of response so far. Hey, and I will, I will put a link to the blog post in the, in the show notes, but, but for people who haven't read it, do you want to just like give a, you know, like a, a really quick summary of like what it talks about? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the title is How Racism Shapes My Habits. And what I talk about in there is, you know, how you know, racist encounters that I've had in my life and um, continue to have you know, affect how I conduct myself in public. Uh, so I talk a little bit about, you know, how I operate my vehicle. So just making sure that I am in compliance with all the laws because you have know, experience I had when I was younger um, in a vehicle and, um, and that talk about, you know, my appearance and how I've been, you know, judged or kind of characterized by, you know, having wearing clothes that aren't, you know, what aren't, uh, I don't fit into the, I guess the lexicon of wherever I'm, I'm living, um, at the time and, uh, just how, you know, I'm very hyper aware of, of my appearance and how I talk and, um, where I am. And that is all because of you know, racist encounters I've had in, in the past. And so it's, it's kind of a, an automatic kind of defense mechanism that, that I have to, to keep myself safe and to, you know, and not only that, but to keep, you know, everyone else feeling safe so that people don't feel threatened by me or my appearance. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, I've, I've learned how to live with it. But, you know, when I when I kind of put it to paper and, and talk about it, it's it is a lot. It's like a, a pretty taxing amount of, of things that I have to do to 
make feel comfortable and make others feel comfortable. So that's mm-hmm. roughly what that blog post about. Yeah, I mean, I when when I read it, I I mean, one, I don't know you that well. You're someone I know, like you're my Twitter friend. But um, but I was like, yeah, like I, I never knew that Johnson went through all this stuff. Obviously, so you know, it's it was very kind of eye opening for me. Um, it now these examples, none of them are. Um, I don't think any of them are like related to the tech industry. Have you had similar experiences, you know, in the tech industry as well? Yeah. Um, so the tech industry, it's it's been kind of similarly like non-violent is what I kind of described in my in my blog post. Um, I think probably the the one that sticks out to me the most is uh, it was it's probably like five years ago, maybe six years ago, uh, I was speaking at a, a Scala conference and, um, you know, I went through the whole process of, you know, submitting your proposal and getting there and, um, and, you know, the, the time came for me to speak and, and I had the room and everything and I, and I went in there and um, I was just kind of standing by the podium waiting to get set up with my laptop and the, the person that was kind of assigned to help people get set up just like didn't believe that I was the speaker. Um, and like, it it was really weird because like my badge said my name and then like, like, like everything pointed to it. But for some reason he was like extremely skeptical. So he went to go grab someone else. Uh, and then they came back and like apologized and said, Oh, sorry. Like, I guess someone, you know, had spoken that wasn't supposed to speak or like their talk was rejected, but then they still came and gave it. And so, there was some controversy around that, but, okay. <laughs> uh, but that, that, I mean, it, it didn't like, he didn't ever say anything about me being black or anything like that, but that was the sense I kind of got was like, I was the only black speaker at that conference that time and it was out of the norm. And so he just kind of questioned me. And, and the thing that sucked about it the most was that because of this whole thing, it was like a 20 minute time slot and then it was five minutes late. So I had to give right. a talk in 15 minutes and it was really, and rough. also you had to, you have to like giving a talk is already a stressful experience and having to like all your, your being questioned like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I didn't make any like wider complaints than that. Uh, but, um, and I guess just the, kind of another general thing that happens sometimes is, you know, if I start working at a new company or, um, you know, and exposed to someone new at a company, it's always surprising that I'm to them that I'm like in tech. It's like, or like I'm a software engineer more particularly like, Oh, like, what do you do here? Marketing? It's like, Nope. Writing, writing code. So uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but I, I think mostly my work kind of speaks for itself and then I can kind of move forward from there. But those are the experiences I've had. There have been more, not as like overtly racist, but just kind of like stereotypes that have permeated down into these kind of bad experiences. It's what? like no matter no matter how many of those of like of incidents like that I hear, I am still just slack jawed when I hear about it because it just it's it's there's something happening in somebody's head where they're just convinced of of what they know. And and they they have just no sense of, of what what their surroundings are. It's almost this weird. Um, it's like a, a a blindness of some kind. Yeah, it's um. 
I think a lot of the habits that I've, I've generated have been to try to diffuse that just kind of yeah. like, you know, make him know like, Hey, whatever you think is not true about me, which I yeah, feel right. conflicted about, but it, it just helps me to kind of just move forward. Like I can't tackle the whole racist mentality or ideology. I just have to make a living and yeah. Yeah, right, it's, so it's it's, it's like it's like when you put the club on your car so that they go steal someone else's car, but they still steal someone else's car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is a good analogy, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not the one. But I don't yeah, think they use like, the club anymore. I haven't seen one of those in years. I haven't either. I remember I grew up in Queens, uh, New York, and uh, in the '90s, and those things were everywhere. Like the club yep. was the way people thought you combated. Uh, you know, car theft and it, but little but then as soon as you you found out that a hacksaw cuts the steering wheel and you're done right but i mean useless. so i i used to have one and my car never got stolen qed right but right. Yeah. The, the point is not that that you can't defeat it with a hacksaw it's that like oh I, I would need a hacksaw i'll just go steal the next car yeah right yeah yeah that's the it's kind of the same thing with like uh spam or like fishing I talk to my wife about this all the time because she'll say like, "Oh, what? Like, how are people falling for these like dumb fishing?" And I'm like, "Well, it's the whole point is like you're not the person they're targeting. They're targeting someone who just doesn't know anything and will just click on the link. And so it's much easier to kind of just throw the the I guess the spam out there or the fishing out there, and you know someone will will click on it. You don't have to kind of really try too hard to like pry off the." Um, mm-hmm or whatever so 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 now uh i know you have kids how old are your kids yeah i have a uh, three-year-old and then a five-month-old oh yeah so they're 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 way too young to have to talk to about this stuff uh i wish that were the case so my, my three-year-old she uh has some questions now um about it and um i guess for context i'm in a my wife is is caucasian so uh it's like interracial marriage and uh so our daughter, she's so she's three, and she's definitely like right smack in the middle as far as, far as complexion goes. And then she has kind of both of our attributes as far as like hair goes. And um, yeah, she asked my wife the other day, like, "Am I white or am I black?" And because in her mind, like, that's this kind of just the the world that she lives in. Like on her her mom's side, like all her cousins and aunts and uncles are all white. And then on my side, everyone is black. And so to her, she doesn't really know how to process the idea of like, yeah. you're, you're both or like you can choose one, I guess, if that's what you want to do. But, yeah. um, and I, I don't exactly know how to talk to her about that. Like to, how to tell her that it's not that simple. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's like there, there's this conversation you have at home, which is, you are who you are, sweetie, and you know, mom and dad. You came from mom and dad, and you're you're part of both of us, and all that stuff. And then there's that reality out there where it's like, it doesn't matter what you tell, what what you think. Like the world's gonna think something else, and that's the, that's when the pain comes in. But but so she's clued into that, but she's probably not clued into what's going on, you know, in the world right now, right? No, um, you know, th- we have had the like the news on and just kind of looked at what's been happening, but she hasn't been as curious about it. Cause it's, it's like too nuanced to even really take in for a three-year-old to look at yeah. 
I know. know police brutality or something. Be like, what? Yeah. What is this? Um, right. I've been actually our kids eight. We have an eight and four year old, and I've been my, the older one's getting a lot of civics lessons right now. And you know, her mom actually says she's that's just your dad's opinion several times in the past couple of weeks. But there's a lot of stuff that you know kids that old are are really asking about, and you know ours ours especially is trying to figure out why you know why cops why cops break the law you know or what does that mean if somebody who's supposed to be you know upholding behaviors isn't isn't stand isn't uh, upholding for themselves and so I mean it's I'm three years old is probably I don't think I'd, I would do that with my four-year-old but you know the second grader third grader at that age they're they're at the place where they've been told Police are your friends. If you get in trouble, let them know. And you know, I know that's that's a message that a lot of parents don't tell their parents, uh, tell their kids. I mean, I've heard that uh, kids in black families are often told, you know, watch out and you you know don't get police involved if you if you can help it, right? Yeah, I mean, in my upbringing, uh, my my mom is uh, from Saint Kitts, so we had like a she's the I guess I'm like a the first generation how that works, like when your parent is like immigrated somewhere else. And then you were born mm-hmm. here. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's first generation. Um, and so she, she definitely raises with a, like a lot of deference toward uh, law enforcement. And, mm-hmm. you know, she really wanted us to, you know, be, be very deferential. Like if we got pulled over or stopped to, you know, explain what we were doing and, and to not be, um, not to not avoid the police or, and not to be confrontational with them. And so, mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's reasonable I'm, advice when somebody's carrying a gun and they've they've proven to be un you know undisciplined with it, right? For sure. And, and like my peers in the neighborhood, uh, not all of them were you know they were like second, third generation. They didn't have the same opinion or way that they went about it. Like they they were much oh. more uh, aggressive or you know willing to say like, hey, you don't you don't have the right to stop me. Or something like yeah, that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I would never say that growing up. It was like, oh, the police can stop me anytime, and that's just what I have to deal with. I got, I tried that line one time. I got pulled over in Massachusetts, and you know, I said, well, what were you, what'd you pull me over for? And the cop said, what are you, a lawyer? And at that point, I was like, that fucking, the line about why did you pull me over, it's not, it doesn't work. I mean, the, <laughs> once you're in a conversation with a police officer, there's, it's, you've already lost the game. Yeah, I mean, that's, at least that's the way I treat encounters like that. Um, it's very much like, all right, whatever, whatever you want, it's like probably what you're going to get. And like, but outside of like an egregious, you know, thing, then I, I, I won't like, I, I th- when I was in, um, it's like my June, my last year of high school or college, excuse me, I got pulled over and, uh, they didn't really have a reason. Like I said, oh, why did I get pulled over? It's like, oh, we're like investigating, you know, some crimes and like looking for people that look like this. Would you mind stepping out of the car? I'm like, well, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to step out because yeah. it doesn't seem like there's any reason for this encounter. And uh, that was the only time that I ever really like tried to do like a law and order move on a, a police officer. But did it work? What happened? It did. Yeah, he he was just kind of like, well no, you don't have to get out of the car if you don't want to and just stay here for a minute. And then he said, all right, you can go. It's like, it was weird. Like someone, someone was like on the, on the loose with on foot. And so they were just kind of trying to make sure no one in the area 
was like transporting them out, but they didn't say that. So yeah, it made it hard to work with them. Yeah. So does the, has the, you know, response to your blog post made you think I want to, you know, be more vocal on these issues and I want to do more of this? It has to some extent, uh, you know, the, let me try, let me answer this in a co- cohesive way. So my, I do plenty of things, um, you know, in, in different communities to, to try to help like with hunger and with uh, homelessness, but I do it all like either silently or with funds and with my time and not, you know, right. Really saying a lot about it. And um, that's what I was hoping to do with this same issue, but it doesn't seem like that luxury is really there. Like there's, it's kind of a more of a battle of, you know, ideas and like systematic problems that need to be spoken up on. And I would like to speak up on it, but I'm I'm still learning how. And so it it did make me want to do more, but I'm still trying to, to navigate, like, how can I have a consistent, you know, message about this that's clear and like actionable versus just talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I don't know that your message has to be actionable, right? Like just, you know, like, like you said, you know, just putting this out there, even with no necessarily action involved, uh, you know, it caused a, a pretty big and pretty positive response. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe that's, that's it. Like just, you know, sharing experiences and you know, saying what I need to say can, can make, have a change like it has already. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, if it, get, if it gets hundreds of people to send you messages about it, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's an action already, right? Yeah. Like yeah, if you think yeah. about all the, all the, you know, minds that you influenced, uh, and, and all the more people who didn't write you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really well stated, Joel. I mean, I appreciate that. I, I, for some reason, I, I, it's hard for me to think of like words as like impactful, but everything you're saying is like really evidence that it, it is. And um, you know, the whatever other organized thing I can do can be impactful as well. But I shouldn't discount this avenue, which has been really positive and led to a lot of good conversations, like this one. Yeah, like this one. <laughs> Especially this one. Let's Especially this one. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, are you? Uh, are there protests in Salt Lake City? I've been following because Seattle's had had its own thing. Yeah. Um, so this is a kind of interesting topic. So, you know, the weekend that uh, the kind of the whole country decided to to start to protest. Yes. Um, you know, Salt Lake. There was one that weekend, and. Um, you know, I thought about it for a second and said, all right, well, if I go to this, I'll be like one of the only black people there. And, you know, if any kind of violence erupts, like I'm really putting myself in a kind of a disadvantageous position, uh, you know, this early. And I think that it would be better for me to to be involved in these protests when they're a little bit more like organized and, yeah. you know, less chance for me to like end up getting hit in the eye with a rubber bullet or something like right. that. So I opted out, you know, the first weekend and then there were some subsequent, um, you know, demonstrations that I did go to those. Uh, so, you know, that, 
was was a lot easier because they were bigger, more more organized, and like had the nonviolence as part of their creed. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I felt a lot more comfortable with that. I uh, just I, I think like I, I guess I don't have anything wider to say about whether protests should be violent or nonviolent. But as someone who has kids and um, and like a wife and things, like I just didn't want to risk it, so I, I chose not to participate early on. Especially with that old boy with the with the hunting bow, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you 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 weren't tempted to take over part of the city and set up an auto- autonomous zone. <laughs> I personally was not, but uh, <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, I am. I guess that's more of a Seattle thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think <laughs> it's the, one of the hard things about this whole. Um, discussion and conversation is I feel like, you know, in the beginning there was kind of a real clear issue that, um, that everyone kind of mobilized behind of, um, you know, one, one police brutality and then two, you know, like systematic racism, especially specifically against black people. And then it seemed like it turned into a much larger discussion and like a lot more talking points. And um, for, and for me, like I, I'm, I'm definitely invested in like the early two things, and then everything else, I'm like still kind of exploring on my own, and so trying to channel my energy toward the right type of uh, protest is also important for me. So I, I just try to be mindful of that as well. Mm-hmm. It seemed like there was an organic, there were organic protests that were were focused on. The same, you know, small B Black Lives Matter message, which is, you know, on the face, obviously true and for some reason gets argued against. But then then there were sort of I in my view, it looks like professional protesters who show up and try to fuck shit up. And it's it's really hard to tell where that boundary is because it all it all gets covered in 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 the same sort of coverage like violent protesters and yep that that happened but it there, there seems to be very it's it, it's impossible to un, it, you know disentangle them once that once that stuff starts so um. yeah um and i think that that's what i was trying to also delineate with my blog post was like hey these are the issues that i've experienced and like that concern me and you know the wider discussions of like um like whether police are, should be funded or not, or, yeah. um, you know, whatever, like, yeah, th- these big discussions that are happening. And like, I, I don't really have a horse in that race. Like I have a horse in this race. So um, I want yeah. to speak up on this. And um, I, I feel like sometimes it's hard to, to do that too, um, where you can, you know, disavow racism or like show your discontent for stuff, but then, you know, there's other discussions going on too. You might not have anything to say about, but people kind of expect you to piggyback onto it. And so that's also the concerns I have with like writing. It's just like, Hey, I might not have anything to say about this, but I have a lot to say about this other thing. And hopefully that's okay. That's what's, that's what's good about writing is that you get to, you get to say the things you want to say and you don't have to say the things you don't want to say. It's true. <laughs> it's a very, really good point. That's why I like writing. Yeah, but unless people come out and be like, "You," I noticed you haven't said anything about this, and like I saw one, I saw one tweet. I think like, you know, one of the Scala companies 
um, tweeted, they, they made a tweet in support of Black Lives Matter or something like that. Um, and then it didn't get very many likes. And someone else tweeted out angrily, like, I can't believe how awful the Scala community is that this tweet got so few likes. Yeah. And it was just, it, I don't know, it was a little bit of a, felt like a little bit of a stretch to me. Yeah, what do you, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Like, um, like I, I understand the desire to like want a community to identify with to, you know, get behind an issue like this one that is definitely an issue of our time and, um, you know, that you, you want to be on the right side of. But at the same time, it's like Scala is not, it's just, it's just like <laughs> open source programming language. So it, it, it's hard for, you know, the, that organization to say anything meaningful. And, and I know some people find it meaningful for them to just say anything at all. But uh, me personally, like personally, I, that, that's not how I feel, but it, I, I like, I, I empathize with it, but I, I wouldn't try to, you know, encourage companies or organizations to say something like they should feel compelled to. And if not, then I don't know how, guilting them or like making them feel bad for not saying something is worth it. Um, yeah. if, if they do say something in the end, it's just like almost worse. Right. <laughs> they, they, you, they, yeah. You, you only did it at the point of a gun. I thought, I, I forget where I saw it, but I thought uh, the funny reply to that person being upset was, well, there just aren't that many Scala users, first of all. So, <laughs> well, you know, someone who, just a, uh, <laughs> who's been in Scala for about five years there. And definitely yeah. not that many. Um, you know, right. It's, yeah, I think I, all the I think I know everyone who writes Scala. So <laughs> <laughs> I used to write Scala. I, I don't yeah. anymore. I, 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 I can't say I miss it that much, but not because of the community, just because I don't miss writing Scala that much. Yeah. Um, you know, I it's it's a very weird programming language because you can kind of choose your flavor of how you want to go about it, right? You yeah. want to go yeah. full functional, like you could do that. You want to you want to write it like Java. You can do that. You want to write it like a mad person, just like in uh, very like uh, you know. You mean angry or <laughs> or just like you you don't have to really do object oriented or or functional. Right. You can just do like procedural if you want to. Um, and I think it just makes like for a really hard to like onboard people too, because um, you you'll get you'll try to hire Scala people. And then like you may have a culture that's like, all right, we just do everything in you know this really simple. We don't we don't use a lot of object oriented ideas. We don't use a lot of functional ideas. We use them when we need them, but we we're not going to go full tilt on on functional. Mm -hmm. And then you'll get one person that's like really good at Scala and functional, and they'll just completely uproot the whole culture and like pull all the libraries out and move everything over into you know cats and stuff. And so it's it's a tough one. Like, I don't think like if I were starting my own team or company that I would choose it just cause it, it would create a, a culture that I probably wouldn't like in the long run. I actually, this reminds me of a conversation I had with somebody about Haskell. I know this is near and dear to your heart, Joel. Oh yeah. I, he said, Oh yeah. You know what? When I, I, when I was spinning up a team, I, uh, I made sure that, uh, I looked for Haskell programmers and I, I was jokingly said, uh, I jokingly said, well, that makes recruiting hard, ha 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 ha. You know, because there's no Haskell, Haskell programmers, and he he went on and on about uh, how no, actually, you know, if somebody's good at Haskell, they're like uh, you know 50 times better than any any other programmer, and all these other things. And it, it's funny, I've never like 
I felt like he was exaggerating, but if if that's something that somebody's had an experience with, I think it's an interesting point. I think also there's so many people who like aspire to work in Haskell that you can like yeah. find them pretty easily. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess my own, my one of my few Haskell experiences was um, it was a couple of months ago. I was interviewing someone you know for a job at Pluralsight and um, they decided to do their code problem in Haskell and they just like blew my mind how much better their solution was than any other one that I'd ever seen. And, oh, really? uh, and like they were teaching me stuff and like the problem didn't even matter. Like I didn't even care if they got the right answer because it was like so elegant the way that they were going about this problem. And uh, yeah, he, he ended up not even being interested afterward. He had like way better opportunities elsewhere, but at the same time, it was just like mind blowing. Like, Whoa, this guy really has a, grasp on this like language and tooling and even you know comprehending the problem and breaking it down into something that isn't the usual way that people go about it it's it's super elegant for a lot of things and then you have to like print or whatever and then it's like really hard <laughs> <laughs> or, or like read a file yeah, oh, yeah. any any side effect thing it's like oh well yeah you got to start doing like uh ios and things like that yeah it gets it gets nuts I think we got off topic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we got back onto the onto the other topic. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, any any other points you want to make or anything come to mind while we're talking, Jonathan? Yeah, um, I guess the I, I guess the, the only thing I'll say is just like thanks. I think this discussion really helped me realize that I do want to say more and I do want to use my voice more. Um, I was kind of going the other way and thinking, all right, now that I've talked, I need to, you know, put my money or my energy where my uh, writing is, not where my mouth is. Um, and this has helped me realize, like, hey, actually, writing is a is an action, and um, you know, it's it's a really good action. And so I I just wanted to say thanks to both of you for that. Yeah, right, and, welcome. You know, th thank you for coming back on the show to discuss this. Yeah. I, I know that these aren't always. Uh, you know, easy topics to talk about, um, and they can be like really fraught discussions. And uh, and, and and so yeah, I, I I appreciate your coming to you know to to talk about it with like two old white guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Any any time it was a, a pleasure being on on your show. So thank you. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. And and I'll I'll, I'll stick the boring uh, unrelated episode right after this, so it'll be like an extra long two part uh. episode. Snoozer. <laughs> All right. Okay. Th th thanks again, Joanza. All right. Thank you. Yep. Catch you later. Welcome back to adversarial learning or adversarial distancing, rather. I think this is the third episode. Uh, today we're joined by our friend from Twitter, Joanza Joseph, uh, infrastructure engineer at Pluralsight. Uh, Joanza, you want to say hi to our listeners? Hey, it's uh, fun to be on today. Um, just here from Salt Lake City, I guess, if that's of interest to anyone. Yeah, mountain time. You're ahead of us. You are always, always ahead of us. Not sure I've ever met anyone on mountain time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'll consider that a privilege to be the first. Yeah. Arizona doesn't count because they do something funny with daylight savings time, right? They, yeah, they do libertarian time, right? <laughs> yeah, actually, I had a, a call with someone two days ago who was in Arizona, and we said, oh, MST. 
and uh, he meant his MST, not mine. And so he called oh. me an hour after he was uh-huh. supposed to. God, in Arizona, they run everything. Yeah, I've done that. I've 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 set uh, uh, in person meeting for Arizona, and it was it was like a whole hour later, and so people, my customers had to re readjust all their schedules, and it was some wacky hijinks. But now I know. So what's a what's an infrastructure engineer? Yeah, good question. So I work on the infrastructure for a specific product team at Pluralsight. So our cloud infrastructure. Um, so deploying our software on AWS primarily, um, working with the managed services there, and um, also our own VM stuff that we work on. So we're we're on Kubernetes and um, we use a couple managed services. So managing all that infrastructure, ensuring kind of like proper deployment practice, pro- proper upgrades, um, and working closely with the the team that you know deploys their services on that infrastructure uh, to kind of meet all the best practices that Pluralsight has. So do you do you know like lots about all the different AWS services? I would say I know a lot about certain ones. There are plenty that I haven't touched at all. I'm going to, uh, that, that, that's awesome to know because I'm going to be like calling you with a ton of questions because one of my big projects um, next quarter is, um, so I just uh, got acquired a license for Prodigy, which is uh, a data annotation tool made by the people who make Spacey. Um, and so what I would like to do is I would like to uh, run this tool, it's a little web app, um, and expose sensitive data to a team of annotators over the network. And so in order to get permission to do this, um, I need to have like a really good security story that will convince the security people that, hey, it's okay for me to expose this data over the network because only the right people will see it and it won't leak data anywhere. And so in order to do that, I basically have to come up with a you know design for that and get it blessed by those people. And I don't know enough about AWS to come up with a design for that. So it will be, uh, it's gonna be an interesting adventure. <laughs> Yeah, on the surface of what you said, it sounds like it's definitely possible to do, um, you know, kind of sans all the details. But, yeah, it's going to be an adventure. That kind of the networking part of AWS, I would say, is the most hairy and complex. So good luck. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And how's, how's Utah? I've always That's one of those places where I have it on my list of places that, like, I think, hey, it could be cool to live there, but I've never actually spent much time there other than when I was, like, a kid and we saw national parks. Yeah, so I, I've lived in Utah since 2009, and um, I will say it's, it's a really great place to live um, as far as uh, the outdoor access. So um, I'm looking out my window right now, and I can see – you know, from like a panoramic of, of a mountain range. And um, this morning I went out and rode my bike about 20 miles, just kind of through um, some trails. And so oh, cool. and that just kind of left my door and was able to do that. Um, I would say that it's, it is lacking in certain areas. Uh, you know, one would be like nightlife. Um, I, I guess I will have to admit <laughs> that I don't really do nightlife anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was at one point, you know, pretty, decent into that scene um so you know bars close early um you know there's lots of drinking law restrictions so you know that that's will... like a plus for me i was gonna say <laughs> I, I guess, even pre-covid i can't remember the last time i went to a bar except for when i go on business trips uh and go out with coworkers. yeah and yeah. i don't drink so for me it's like that sounds great 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't drink either, but, um, yeah. Are that, you in town too. proper or are you out, out more? Yeah. I live South of the city. So I live about 15 minutes South in, um, a smaller ish town. It's called yeah. Midvale. Okay. I've stayed there for a ski trip before. It's, uh, it's right near the the airport and right right next to Cottonwood Canyons, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, beautiful. It's very close to both of those. So. so so the two things I always need to know about any place I consider – three things. Three things I need to know about any place I consider living is, one, how's the traffic? I would say that it is good but getting worse kind of every month. So, you know, obviously with COVID-19, it's a great time to be driving around if you want to do that. But um, the traffic is the quality of like a drive and experience is getting worse pretty much monthly because of the oh, really? influx of population. Uh, but I will say the you know, the local transit department, they're trying to do their best to like expand the freeways and, you know, make new access patterns. But it, it's definitely bad. Like it gets it's worse than it was when I moved here in 2009, but it's not as bad as probably Seattle or LA or anything like that. So it's, it's, it's livable. Okay. Then two, how's the internet situation? <laughs> uh, that really depends on where you live. So um, as you would imagine, Xfinity Comcast has a pretty good hold on things, but yeah, it's like here. Um, and it's, I, I don't have a huge problem with them. I, I think that they, I I don't love having to like call every year to remind them that you're on a promotion, but uh, <laughs> other than that, okay. it's, it's good. Uh, but then there is fiber, you know, Google fiber expanded here a while back before they crashed and burned. So you can yeah. still get that if you're in a certain area. And then there's other fiber providers that are local. So there's it's century like internet. that does fiber here. Yeah. I, I actually upgraded my Comcast to uh, gigabit this week. Oof. Um, and so gigabit is not actually gigabit, but it's called it gigabit. Should be, should be enough for anyone. It's a it's about it's about I think four hundred down and maybe seventy or eighty up, which is Ooh, that's great. A, wow. a lot better than I had before. But then the Wi Fi doesn't cover my house, so I bought this uh four hundred dollar Amazon Eero wireless oh, yeah, mesh yeah, thing yeah. that's supposed to come tomorrow and then I'll mesh up my house and then maybe I can get internet in the far my house isn't that big, but um there's only one coax jack in the house and so that's where the wireless wow. router is and the farther you get from there the worse the internet is so um we'll see um and then my third my third question is how's the weather the weather is i i think it's okay um the reason i say that there is four seasons it is snowing a lot if you look through my twitter you'll see me slipping on ice shoveling mm -hmm. snow for my surveillance cameras yeah um and <laughs> the summer gets pretty hot, like, you know, 100 high every day is pretty normal for July. It is dry heat. So, you know, it's not as bad as humidity. So I, I think a lot of people would take that and be happy with that, especially if they ski. But if you don't like the winter, then that's probably not for you. Is there like an app where they'll shovel snow for you? <laughs> I, I haven't ever tried one, but... Um, I actually kind of get a good amount of satisfaction out of shoveling, so I, I don't mind doing it. Good. So how is uh, how is quarantine treating you? Um, I would say mostly poorly. It's been. Oh. I guess let me let me enumerate through the things that are are going poorly. So you know, being a, a teacher, so you know, my my three year old is in a preschool program. And uh, my wife and I have really kind of turned into 
the educators in that in that scenario. And so uh, whereas before it was kind of a place that she could just kind of go and interact with other kids. And, you know, the curriculum was just kind of part of the deal, but it wasn't the main reason why she went to preschool. Mm -hmm. Now on Zoom, it is kind of the main reason she's going to preschool. And so it takes a lot of us kind of working with her to make sure she can get through the couple hours of preschool she has a day. Um, I I have been work from home this whole time. And actually right before, uh, you know, the stay at home orders, I was on paternity leave. So I've been at home for like almost six months now. Yeah. So, um, it's, I don't mind working from home, but it, it would have been nice to kind of get a little break and go back and see everyone and, and then come out for, for COVID-19 again, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say the last thing is just keeping my kid entertained. So my, my three-year-old entertained has been tricky. I mean, it's a lot of what we did was going to public spaces and playing and that's all not available. So, I've got had to get really creative with buying games for the backyard. So we have like croquet that we got oh, and a couple other outdoor games. Um, and, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be healthy. I'm happy that I still have a job. Um, and so I, I can't complain too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a tough age. Like three, <laughs> three year olds need a lot of attention. Um, yeah, she's pretty much like if I exit my office, she just runs toward me and is like, "Hey, let's let's do something," um, and she she'll just have something made up on the spot. And so, yeah, it's ideally you'll have a kind of a full day schedule of just stuff to do, but it's hard to come up with that stuff during when you that, can't interact in public space. It's heartbreaking when like that happens, and then you know, with the I we have two kids old enough to be begging for for attention. When I if I say no, I gotta finish this email or whatever it is, some dumb thing. The, the the downcast faces and then my my wife's like oh they really want you to do something with them and sort of you know nudges me toward it you know half the time I do have to break down and just say okay fine yeah 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 you're right let's do it and then then I I uh, at this point I I I think I'm working in the evenings a lot more than I was uh, even though I'm doing early calls too just because I sort of spread the afternoon out I come I come home from my office space around two or three usually every day and take over some of the childcare. And then I catch up on stuff in the evenings. Yeah. It sounds like you at least have a nice schedule. I think keeping a, yeah. like a good schedule and cadence and routines has helped me keep my sanity at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the thing for me, it's, uh, you know, my daughter's nine, so she's pretty, she's reasonably self-sufficient at this point. And like, if I tell her, you know what, today I got a bunch of calls, so you're you're on your own, like knock yourself out with YouTube Minecraft videos and Google Hangouts with your friends, she can do that. Um, not that she wouldn't like more attention, but that like she, that that can get her through the day mostly. Yeah, I just uh, our kids just went with the neighbor kids to walk in the woods, and my older daughter said, "Daddy, I wish we could go. Well, you could you could go with us." And I had to say, "Yeah, me too." And I, but I signed up to do it tomorrow. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of that too, like just deferring it and saying, it's not that I don't want to, it's that I, I can't right now, but. Exactly. So just like in that song, Cats in the Cradle, right? <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? Ugly Kid Joe. That's a, such a happy song. Oh, I don't remember that version. <laughs> no, that's the version, Ugly Kid Joe, right? Harry's Crow. Harry, yeah. No, Jim Croce. No, it's actually Harry Chapin was the original. Harry so. Chapin, okay. But but the Ugly Kid Joe version was they did a cover that was terrible. They, okay. they also had that uh, 
I Hate Everything About You song. Oh, is it as bad as that puddle of mud Nirvana cover that was going around? A couple oh, weeks ago? I, I've, I, I've, I've watched that so many times. <laughs> like it just, it, it gives me such a, it gives me so much joy to <laughs> have, have you seen this? Jonza? Yeah, I, I've seen it. <laughs> it's yeah. I don't, I don't have a lot to say, but yeah, it, I have seen it. Oh, I've, I've watched that so many times. It's never, it never fails to make me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I did, yeah, I played. I played it for my daughter, she, and I, I like. I tried to explain to her like why it was funny, yeah. and it was a little bit hard, but but I think she got it. She got it. <laughs> I was gonna ask. That's funny. I, I mean, she 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 appreciates that he sounds terrible. So, um, but then she's not really familiar with the source material, so that makes oh, it okay. uh, a little bit of a, a tougher. Uh, yeah. But still, like, and she she appreciates that I get a kick out of it. That's good. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of parenting for me is uh, realizing that I, you know, I I force a lot of things on my kids as far as comedy and you know what my values are, and and I have to tone it down as far as requiring them to agree. Uh, but it's really tempting just to say, no, 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 that's funny, right? That's funny. Remember? Well, so I um I I used to, and sometimes still do this thing where if I ask my daughter a question and she doesn't answer. I'll just answer for her, like saying what I think she would say. Yeah. She hates that. And yes. like, she, she really chewed me out and she's like, daddy, like, please stop doing that. I don't like when you do that. Don't do that. So I'm, I, I'm really trying not to do it, but I forget mm-hmm. sometimes. I do some of that prompting, you know, thanks dad. And then I get it. And, you know, I've had, but my the older one's old enough just to be onto my onto my shtick, and you know I'll I'll make a bad joke and she'll she I've heard her do this many times deadpan, ha ha ha, and I'm like yeah good all right. But no, for, for me for me it's more like legit stuff. Like she'll she'll have like a, a falling out with one of her friends, and she'll be like, oh you know so and so unfriended me on Minecraft, and then she destroyed my house or whatever, and then like much later. My wife will come down and she'll be like, Madeline, like, how's your day going? And Madeline won't answer. So I'll be like, oh, it was pretty terrible, right? Like, Isabella unfriended me on Facebook, and then she wrecked my house. And, like, that's when she loses oh. it to me. She's like, Daddy, <laughs> stop doing that. I hate it when you talk for me. I hate it when you answer for me. Don't do it. So I've heard a few stories about people trashing uh, Minecraft creations. One was, you know, another kid doing it. But there was that one dad uh, punishing his 10-year-old for or something and it was like he destroyed something the kids yeah, it was a, well it was a reddit you know am i the asshole thing so oh, yeah. you, you have to question whether it actually happened but mm-hmm. you know assuming it did he usually was the, the asshole. answer is yes yeah um it's like if you have to ask it's funny that people make these minecraft videos and they call them pranks but it's usually like wrecking people's stuff they're like Watch me play a Minecraft prank on my sister, and that's the video. But then it's just oh, our, the break, yeah. The break is I'm gonna I'm gonna wreck her stuff. So yeah, our our younger cousins talked about that. It was they they called it griefing. Uh, you know, griefing is is much more general, like in in video games, and I think that's where you just like uh kill people, like oh okay, like, like five. Well, well, no, I think it's where like I'm guess I'm talking out of my ass now because I don't play video games, but I believe. Um, and, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, that it's like if you're like a really like high level player and you just like show up at like the entry point of the game and just start killing all the like level one players, that's griefing, I think. I don't know. Oh, OK. Got it. Huh. It's an interesting term for it. Yeah. Right. Because you're you're implementing the, the grief that you're imposing on people. 
there's this new um, game coming out this week, actually, or next week. It's called Minecraft Dungeons, and it's like a dungeon crawler kind of video game set in the Minecraft world. Um, oh. But but and so I, I got really excited to play it with you know with my daughter, even though she's not that into like dungeon crawling and killing things. And um, but it turns out that like it runs on consoles, and and it's it's actually impossible to buy a video game console right now. Like if you go to Amazon or Best Buy or whatever, they're all sold out because of COVID. So like Nintendo Switch hasn't been in stock for months, and PlayStation Four is not in stock, and Xbox. Like unless you want to like pay twice, you know, sticker price to an uh, an unauthorized seller or something, you you just can't get them. And then seems like now's a good time to lower prices and get that volume in. Well, I mean they're sold out. Like their their supply chains oh. are, are screwed up because of you know China. Oh, and whatever. It's, you can't download it. Well, no, no, the consoles themselves. Oh, got it. Wow, really? Okay. Yeah. Like. Oh, my friend was talking about how he couldn't find a Switch for sale. You, yeah, you can't. You can't find a Switch for sale. They've been sold out for months. Um, huh. um, and then, like, they introduced Animal Crossing at, at like the same time as COVID, so that was like a double whammy. Everyone was stuck at home and said, "I want to play Nintendo Switch," and then everyone wanted to play Animal Crossing too. So, um, yeah, you, you can't buy it. And then for the P, there's a PC version, but I don't think. You know, any of our crappy little laptops uh, have the right graphics card or anything to play it. So basically, we just can't. I've been talking up this game for like weeks, and now I like read the requirements. Like, oops, I don't think we can play this. So, who darn? Shoot, it's fine. She would have lost interest after like an hour anyway. So, um, <laughs> it's like I don't like killing things. I was like, come on, you, you like killing things. You could learn to like killing things. No. <laughs> We I, we we have a we have an old hand-me-down Wii from some neighbors and um, it has the sports discs in it um, and those are great and the kids love you know archery and bowling and one time I said I think Addie was uh, maybe five at the time or four I said let's do boxing and uh, boy was that a mistake because just the just the you know that that's the most cartoony possible boxing game and just the 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 possibility that you know there was this kind of fighting it it drove her it, she started crying immediately and so we've never really gotten back to that one what about uh so what what kind of uh, what kind of domestic habits have changed for for you in covid joanza i know we've we've done more yard work and you know the the homeschooling's kind of kind of changed half of the day for the kids but any, anything different for you for you guys yeah, I guess for me, um, I have gotten into gardening. So, oh, cool. Um, I got my fl- uh, gardening beds, uh, raised beds ready. Um, I bought some seeds from a company. I haven't made it yet. So once those do, I'll plant. Uh, so that's been nice. Uh, I think otherwise, I did also in the beginning when it was still cold, I got into indoor cycling training so not a peloton but um, a smart trainer so it's a Mm -hmm. basically a little device you connect your kind of rare derailleur to on your bike Mm -hmm. um, and then it will kind of calculate things like distance and it could do resistance and and things like that and then you can connect it to a uh, a smart device so i connected it to my tablet and then I kind of virtually ride and compete against other people. So I was really into that oh, until nice. it got warm enough, and then I went mm-hmm. back outside. But Do you win? Uh, not usually. There's some really good people on there. Um, there's actually, like, pros. Uh, so, you know, you'll be riding oh, along at, like, 20 miles per hour, 
and really pushing hard and someone would just fly past you at like 37 miles per hour. Um, <laughs> Do they not like so put you in tiers so you can compete against people who are like at similar levels to you? <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's a little bit disheartening, but um, yeah, I, I don't compete against those guys. Uh, it's usually, you know, people I know uh, in real life. So we'll meet mm-hmm. up on there and, and go on a ride and race. Uh, and so it's, it's fun though. It, I, I kind of miss it. I, I think if it's rainy or something like that, I'll, I'll I'll bring my bike back inside, but um, where, where can you choose? Can you choose to ride anywhere in the world? They have a few locations. So they have uh, a made up world that the, it's this, this app is called Zwift Z W I F T. Uh, so they have a made up world, which is what they started with. That's called Watopia. And so that has like varied terrain, um, you know, that's supposed to represent a, a lot of different types of cycling terrain, but then they also have London. So they have a couple uh, different locations in London that have circuits essentially that you can ride. Um, and they also have Richmond, Virginia. So the same okay. thing. Um, and they have New York city. So, Fun. and I think the, the final location is uh, another, I can't remember what it, I've never rode that one, but it's another English city like Manchester, I think is what it is actually. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, they have, they've got a couple and they're constantly expanding and trying to get more. When you put your bike in there, do you have to balance like an indoor trainer or does it hold it up? It holds it up. So essentially like your, your back, where your back tire would connect, you kind of hook onto this thing and then you, you put your chain onto it. So it kind of acts as, as a rear tire essentially. So I I have a a block on the front tire that kind of keeps me still. So when I stand up, I can, I don't kind of shake side to side. And they also have actually a, a front connector that you can buy and that will simulate going up and downhill. So like rise up while you're climbing and Oh, okay. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't buy that. That's like another 300 bucks. But, um, and do you it, get your hands all greasy when you do the, take the chain on and off? Yeah, I do. So I, that's why I don't really like doing it a lot. I think it's pretty convenient, you know, for, you know, the end of the season moving once, the beginning of the season moving once, but doing it back and mm-hmm. forth, I don't know. Don't know about that. Because, yeah, it basically, I need to thoroughly wash my hands after doing it because it's all yeah, You just want to have another bike you, for that, you, right? You'd think that a lot of people would run, in, would run into that and that they'd have a solution for it. Or do they just assume that everyone who can afford their product has two bikes, one for riding outside and one for hooking up to this thing? Um, I, I know the majority of people just ride their actual bike. Like they just have one. I think the the whole wrenching idea or like the idea that you will get dirty is just kind of part of cycling because you will get flat tires and have to change your tire and you will get busted chains and have to change your chains. And mm-hmm. I think the idea is just, you know, people yeah, are like not in your living room. Yeah. Not in your living room. It's true. Uh, yeah. M- mine is in my uh, currently unfinished basement. So okay, it's not a huge, huge deal, but it's going to be finished soon. So um, then I'm going to have to have better are hygiene you, around. Are you training for a race or anything? I was. So I had on the a calendar 10 centuries this year. And okay. every single one of them got canceled. So, oh, man. Um, so next so year. So century, like 100 miles? Yep, that's right. So it's in, in, one, in one day or over multiple days? It's in one day. So usually <laughs> you can do it in about, uh, you know, seven hours would be like a decent time for an amateur. And then a pro would do it under four hours. That's crazy. I know. I, I did, I did. A, I did a Seattle to Portland one time. That's 204 miles. Yeah, that's, oh, wow, I did that's, it in two days. That's pretty good. I did a... We did a bike MS ride once down in Oregon. Um, 
And I can't remember how many miles it was, but it was like I rode all day for one day. It probably wasn't it was very really many. unpleasant. It, it probably was wasn't awful. very many miles, and I almost <laughs> I came very close to wiping out on this curvy yeah. mountain road, and it was it was bad. I'm not that good at riding a bike, but, but I, made I, it. I I'm not either. But man, I I mean, at the time, I I I didn't even train, and it was it was not fun. It was I mean, going into Portland, I was about to die. Like I you know almost fainted coming down over the back stretch there. I believe it. It's pretty tiring and it's pretty, um, it's like a good exercise calorie burn. So mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of times with new cyclists, uh, they don't realize how many calories they're burning and you're supposed to constantly yeah. eat. And if you yeah. don't, yeah, you will just, you'll probably pass out if you're not. And too we, careful. we had a, a work friend who was talking about the STP one time and, and he bought a bike off of me and it was old sixties, uh, you know, downshift tube, uh, down, down tube shifters and, you know, you know, bad you know old breaks and we're you know we're asking so how how much are you training he's like no nah, not really and we're like you know we asked him well what, what what's your prep and when are you gonna wear and stuff he's like i don't know jeans probably and sure enough he wore jeans on the stp uh and we didn't check in with him but i just it sounded like sounded like torture yeah you don't want to wear jeans no. um but that's you know i guess he he probably made it it sounds like though he did, yeah. But then his bike got stolen out of his apartment, so I felt I felt like uh, mad that I had sold him a nice bike that it got stolen. <laughs> the other day I was looking into like apps for my rowing machine, but I, but that's about as far as I got was looking oh, into. Nice. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of the best ones are iOS only. Although actually, I have an iPad that work gave me, so I could do it on that. I guess right now I don't don't tell them, but um, right now I basically use it as a dedicated serious XM machine. Um, <laughs> That's about all I use it for. Um, yeah. And I and I downloaded uh, actually downloaded Swift Playgrounds, which is like their learn to code thing that I was going to do with Madeline, and then we didn't do it because she wasn't excited about that idea. Maybe I'll try that again this weekend. But anyway, the moral of the story is I have this rowing machine that I never use. I also yeah. um, I think most machines are not used. I also um, I have a 25 pound kettlebell, and I finally remembered to bring it up to my office. And so now when I'm on calls, I'll like take it and I don't know lifted and stuff like that so i saw medicine ball volleyball the other day ah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds dangerous it's, it looks hard yeah yeah that sounds like i don't even know how that would work because the medicine you, ball it's not going to bounce off your hands when you no, hit it, right? they were catching it re-throwing it so it was sort of a little bit of a gray area there, i see so 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 when i was a kid that game we called nukem and i don't know why we called it that but that's what it oh. was called uh, Nukem, which was the volleyball variant where you caught the ball and threw it. Oh, okay, uh, cool. That we also, we also, when I was in elementary school, used to play a game we called pseudo baseball. And so pseudo baseball was like baseball, except one, you used a tennis ball, and two, uh, there was no pitching and batting. You just stood at home plate and like threw the tennis ball, and then oh. that was. Um, and there was one kid who'd always quote unquote bunt by just like dropping it right there and running to first base. <laughs> hey man, yeah, following the rules. I haven't, I haven't thought about that game in a long time. Like that was, I think that was because I went to sort of a janky school that didn't have any like real PE stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, so they just invented, oh, we'll play pseudo baseball. We had a fun capture the flag variant called Three Sticks, and so it was capture the flag but with three flags basically on each side, so you could have a much longer, more intricate game. And there's a lot more like raids to get flags. It was fun. Yeah, it sounds like fun. I've, I've only played the one flag variant. So next time I get roped into a game, I'll 
have to give that a try multiple flags but yeah i was doing i was doing uh, weightlifting at this weightlifting gym that opened up near me at the beginning of the year um with a personal trainer like three times a week and you know obviously that's not happening anymore yeah and i and, and i lost all my gains and it's, it's very sad how many gains did you have <laughs> I, I i don't know how to quantify them but uh-huh. um I, I, you know, I, I was more swole at the end of the training than I was mm-hmm. at the start of the training, but yeah. now I'm, now I'm back to my like original level of swollenness, which is not swole at all. Mm-hmm. Unswollen. <laughs> Unswollen. So, yeah. So it's sad. I, I really need to do one of these bodyweight workouts, but I'm, I'm too tired and lazy is the, is the, is the real challenge. <sighs> There's nothing standing in the way of me and fitness at this point, except for not doing it. Yeah. Tiredness and laziness. Mm-hmm. Any uh, so any any uh, any supply chain interruptions uh, wreaking havoc with your households these days? Yeah, let me think about that. Um, so, in the, at the start of COVID nineteen, well, that as far as the stay at home orders go, um, the start was last year sometime. Uh, but the, uh, <laughs> that's what they want one. you to think. <laughs> that's right uh i have a newborn well she's not a newborn anymore she's four months old and okay. she was a newborn then and um she's formula fed and getting okay. formula was not easy uh and that oh, was yeah. extremely stressful because that's all she could eat and so i was going around at random stores and just trying to procure you know some formula and then i was going online and as desperate enough to try to buy some on eBay from other people, uh, which you know, <laughs> kind of pick your poison, I guess. But, um, yeah, but eventually that, that it kind of evened itself out. Amazon got their act together and, you know, started doing subscribe and save again. So that, that saved that, um, that, that's what about diapering diapers have been easy to get. Uh, that that's for some reason, you know, they have, have these black markers for breast milk. It's a wonder they didn't just repurpose them for, uh, formula. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I unfortunately, or I guess I, I won't judge the fortune of that, but I did run into that market when I was looking for formula. Mm-hmm. So. Was it called Silk Road or something, or what? <laughs> no, that's, um, no, it's, no, it's called something. I, I didn't look that closely into it. Okay, Silk Road is the other one. Uh, that's right. the, oh, right. the the drugs one. That's the, the uh, drug running. Yeah. So that the Bitcoin was involved with that somehow or the other. Right. Yep. For some reason, yeah, it's, it, they're they're tied together. How about coffee? I um, I stocked up on eight pounds of green beans, and so I, I have enough to last a lifetime. Yeah, I don't drink coffee, so I've been fortunate uh, in that regard. Okay, yeah, lucky you. I bought a I bought a five pound bag for my favorite roaster. It cost me like a hundred bucks, and it'll probably last me about a month. So uh huh, that's I, good. They, they they just keep shipping at it. I think I'm probably their favorite customer now because I just keep ordering like a ton of coffee from them. Who's your favorite roaster? It's called Kuma Coffee. Okay. They're, um, I think they're over in like Magnolia, maybe. Um, they had a couple of pit houses, and I wanted to go, but I was too lazy to drive down there. But uh, th- yeah, they like. I've tried all the local coffees, and they're my favorite by far. They mm-hmm. always do good work. Cool. I have a. That's actually the the only sticker I have on my laptop is a Kuma Coffee sticker. Oh, that's that's I, devotion. I know. I know people put like you know, if you're an R person, you put all these hex stickers on that say, "Hey, I'm." I'm a, a a tidy R person, or I'm a Luber Day person. person, or I'm a D plier, or I'm a GG plot two, or I'm a whatever. But not me. I just put a coffee sticker, and then I'm done. Mm-hmm. 
I don't, uh, I don't like to be defined by my tools. You know what right, I mean? Right, I do. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never been big into the stickers. I, I think when I got my first laptop, you know, and when I was first kind of got into programming, I had some, but after that, it, I remember handing that computer back in when I was leaving and the company got like kind of pissed off about it. And so right. yeah. then I never Not did it. Stickers again. really? Yeah. They, it was the kind of company that like immediately just kind of wiped the machine and handed it to the next person. So it was annoying that they had to remove all the stickers. I think they had to get some alcohol and Q-tips out. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that like, so I have, I have a MacBook like everyone else I work with. And if I didn't put a sticker on it, my computer would be indistinguishable from any of theirs. So yeah. like that was, in fact, at, at AI2, um, they got very concerned with security at some point, And they told us explicitly, like, put some stickers on your laptop so you don't get it confused with anyone else's laptop. So that was, that's sort of the, the total opposite approach. At, at Google, it, it was actually interesting. You know, they're so big that um, when you turned in your like, – let's say you left the company and you turn in a computer that was, you know, a year old, then they would take those and use them to like replace computers from people whose computers broke or um, got stolen or whatever. So if I had a year old computer that got stolen, they would not give me a brand new computer to like reward me. Instead they would find a trading computer that was like exactly that age and give me that one. So Mm -hmm. they they, they had this neat kind of matching thing. I mean, I never lost my computer, but I know they do that for other people. I one time had uh, enough, enough Apache Software Foundation stickers on the back deck of our station wagon um, that when uh, there was a there was an accident by you know caused by someone in my household who I won't name, uh, we had to get the back deck replaced, and it came you know came back. Yeah, we got a used one, kind of a deal from the mechanic and my neighbors were like, are you mad about not losing your stickers? So they, they noticed that. So, and I was, you know, it, but it, it's actually nice to have a fresh start and not, not have to be like you said, defined by your, by your labels. I used to, I used to put bumper stickers on my car, but, but mm-hmm. I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. My yeah, wife is. Mean, oh, good. I was going to say, it seems like a, a good way to have someone start a conversation with you, bumper sticker. And I, don't, I try to avoid small talk as much as possible. So. Right. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think when I, so if you go back to like um, 2000 ish, I think I had like a Libertarian Party bumper sticker on my car. Um, and then my car after that, I feel like I had a bumper sticker on it, but I don't know what it was. But I had like a silver Honda Civic, of which there were like a million. Mm-hmm. Silver Honda Civic, so I felt again like I had to have a bumper sticker on it mm-hmm. to so that I could find it in in a parking lot. Um, and of course now I actually have a different like gray Honda Civic, but because it's the because of the remote control, I don't need a bumper sticker to find it. Um, and because oh, my phone it. remembers where I parked it, it just says go over here and then make make it make the sound and then mm-hmm. on your bumper sticker. So. And I mean in this day and age, I think uh, bumper stickers are just inviting trouble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know that makes me want to put one on, but that's that's what Twitter's <laughs> for, right? Twitter is for inviting trouble. Yes. My uh, my in-laws are in in Wyoming, and they're related. To, uh, they're involved in local politics. And at one point, my father-in-law, I saw the back of his uh, suburban. You know, it had uh, pro coal uh, stickers and things like that. And um, I was saying, "Wow, Dave, you really, you know, you're really representing, huh?" And because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of coal in the constituency so it's a it's a 
topic. And he said, yeah, I want to get one that says frack. And I said, you know, come on, that's just pandering. And I th- he laughed about it. So I think there was a little bit of a little bit of that going on. So speaking of Twitter, what do we think about this whole uh, new feature they announced where you can limit who can reply to your tweets? Why would that be a feature they put in? I don't get it. Oh, I'll tell you why, because there are a lot of like blue check type people who tweet stupid stuff and then people tell them that they're stupid and they don't like that. So they're giving them a oh, feature so that, so that they can say, hey, only allow people I follow to respond or only allow people to tagged in the tweet to respond. Uh, I, yeah, I've never needed that feature. Yeah, I was going to say you're not a blue check. <laughs> yeah, I've never uh, had, you know, replies that were so annoying that I really wanted to suppress them. But and I th- the thing that struck me about this feature is that the quote tweet is kind of really where the bad behavior happens and where people <laughs> can kind of go rogue. And that's still possible with those types of tweets. So you can yeah. still, you know, grab one and then dunk on them in your own universe after retweeting them. You can. It's like so there, there's two. Two issues. One is that if I reply to your tweet, then, you know, everyone who sees your tweet can see the reply. Whereas if I quote tweet it, then only people who follow me will really see that. Um, so so uh, that's kind of one one difference. But but I agree with you that quote tweets are, are wicked and should never have been invented. <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah. The worst kind of like meanest things I see are usually quote tweets. I know. I'm and trying it, to stop, but <laughs> yeah, even I, I, I used to do a lot more of them, but you know, I tried to just kind of tone my behavior down and make it m- more positive and. Or more even high. even like the the quote tweet that doesn't even quote it. It's a screenshot, right? Oh so yeah, that's, that's the real coward behavior right there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, usually when I see the screenshot, I think, oh, that tweet was deleted. But a lot of times it's not. It's just like they don't want to at them or whatever, so they're yeah. going off and being mean with a screenshot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Screenshots always have a sort of a whiff of, uh, coming with the receipts. Cause you know, you, you never know what's going to be deleted. It's true. But I, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people complaining about it. I, at this point, all bets are off. I mean, the product team at Twitter could probably, you know, have a giant middle finger in the middle of the screen tomorrow. And it was, they do. I mean, did you see that two, the two examples they used to introduce this feature was one, one said, you know, reply to this tweet. If you can think of an app you like better than Twitter and they turned off replies. And then Uh, another one said, Hey, reply to this tweet. If you want to get verified with a blue check and they turned off replies. So, you (laughs) know, those are both like fuck yous to people. Right. Uh huh. So is it the product team at Twitter are, are getting a little stir crazy and kind of acting out? Or what's no, going on? I, I, They've I, always been hostile to their users. I, I really think it's that um, they they want to provide you know famous people uh, an experience that's freer from harassment. But mm-hmm. uh, the unfortunate thing is that. You know, one person's harassment is another person's speaking truth to power. So if, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, who's a famous Twitter person? Um, Matty Iglesias. Who's that? Matt Iglesias. I don't know. I, oh, I Matt Iglesias. Matt, yeah, Matt, Matt Iglesias, right? So if Matt Iglesias tweets something stupid, which he probably did, you know. I don't know. While, we, while, we, were on this, while we were yeah, on this right. call, um, you know, on one hand, like, it, it's bad that people are mean to him about it. I, on the other hand, it's... 
good that people point out, wow, you're like so wrong for this reason. Not so much because he cares, but because, you know, maybe other people who read that tweet um, will be like, oh, wow, this is actually, you know, a, a lie or, or this is mm-hmm. actually really misleading. So mm-hmm. like by disabling one, you're, you're basically disabling the other. And, and I think that makes Twitter a worse place. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. There's a there was a peak. I forget what year it was. It was probably 2012 where Twitter was good, and then everything since then has been bad. Yeah. It's almost that cut. It's almost that cut. Cut and dry to me. You're you're talking about from a features perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's true. Uh, like I agree that most of the features introduced are are not great, but like Twitter has evolved as a medium, and I think there's a lot of things that. Um, you know, I think what's what's better is the the user base. Uh, I mean, that's way richer now. And uh, I think the only thing Twitter has going for it is that people haven't figured anything else out to use. I don't know. Joanza, do you have a, do you have a love hate relationship with Twitter or you mostly like it? Or you mostly hate it. Um, I'll say I mostly like it. I think I've been on it for, you know, 11 years or so. And, um, over time, it's, I'm definitely not at the peak usage right now. I would say, yeah, I'm somewhere maybe in like the 50th percentile as far as like how many tweets I post. Um, but I think like the professional relationships I've uh, been able to kind of generate on there have been great. Um, I think the topics and, um, you know, finding out stuff that I would have never kind of discovered before. So like the discoverability of new content on there is great. But it's definitely not a place to have nuanced discussion. And I think mm-hmm. it, it's kind of designed that way, you know, not being able to say a lot per tweet. And then um, the the kind of reply tools that they provide are pretty simple. So I, I think the DMs are kind of better for that, but the just the experience of Twitter and like finding new things and sharing things and having kind of conversations with people, I think it's, it's pretty good. Like I, I've been really happy with it relative to, you know, other big social media platforms. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, th- that's kind of how I feel about it. Well, uh, I mean, I'm also I feel about it. I also hate it, but, but yeah. I still spend all day on it every day, but I'm on it. Yeah. yeah I'm not on Facebook. Yeah, I think every week when I get the you know, iOS has that like weekly summary of your usage. It's usually the number one app that I was on. So, I mean, <laughs> Don't look at that. Been, Oof. Yeah. yeah. I, fortunately, mine is mostly going down, but Twitter is always the number one uh, followed up by like Slack usually. So mm-hmm. I, I guess that shows you how productive I am. Hey, work. The workplace has moved to Slack for me. I mean, that's I spend eighty percent of my time in there. I. I have like a profiles thing where my work Slack and my personal Slack are actually different apps. So oh, oh, cool. nice. on the phone anyway, I, I'm not sure if it's nice or not, actually. Like uh, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about it because on the desktop, they're the same app. And yeah. uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's mostly because of this weird IT policy where I'm only allowed to install corporate Slack on my phone under this like alternative work profile. Um, oh, do you have to like swipe something to get to that profile or something? Um, if I want to get to the profile in the abstract, I do, but like I can have a shortcut for the app under that profile that's just like, there's basically just two Slack shortcuts on my phone and one goes to personal Slack, one goes to work Slack. So does your work uh, pay for your phone? My work does not pay for my phone. It, but in fact, like, like basically my work... Um, 
they don't really own my phone. Like they only own that one profile part of it. So, um, yeah, they, they don't pay for it. They might have. I don't know. How about you? Do you do you expense yours? I don't, but uh, our company. So I work at Pluralsight, and it it's kind of in that life cycle now where it's becoming a bigger company, and you know their assets and security is becoming more important. So they're trying to roll out mobile device management. So you got to install some kind of thing on your device if you're going to use company tools like Slack or whatever. Um, and it's pretty controversial just because it's so new to everyone. Um, so I just and and I'm not going to install it on mine because it is optional. And uh, I, I did say like, oh, if the company was paying for my phone, then like I'd be happy to install it on there. Right. But since they're not, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the only reason I had to do this work profile thing was because I wanted Slack on my phone, work Slack on my phone. If I didn't want that, then they don't care. I don't think. Yeah. So it sounds like we're in the same exact spot where yeah, if you want to do work stuff, then you got to have this. If not, then who cares? Yeah, it's a good trade-off because especially when I'm working from home, if I have work, like people ping me for for like I need to answer now stuff on Slack, and so um, I, it, having it on my phone allows me to sort of wander away from my desk and and sort mm -hmm. of you know hang out with my kid for a while and still see those messages. So mm -hmm. it's a good trade-off. Yeah, it's nice. Go ahead and chop some wood, fetch some water. Um, you know, so we got um. We got uh, – so there's a company, Chip Drop, which will deliver, like, wood chips that's waste from yeah. cutting down uh, a bunch of trees. Um, and on the most recent order, uh, whoever ordered it said – they checked the box. Yes, it's okay to put, like, uh, stumps in the in the mix. <laughs> okay. Like whole stumps? Like whole stumps. Like, um. yeah. And, and so, like, it's fine because she wanted them to decorate her yard, which is fine. But then, like, some of them were, like, hidden in the pile. So I went into it with a pitchfork, like, what looked like a pile of wood chips with, like, a big stump in the middle of it. That mm -hmm. hurt a lot. Oh, um, man. Ugh. Anyway, one of my neighbors is going to split them, and then we're going to use them for uh, our fire pit, assuming social distancing ever ends. Although my neighbors mm -hmm. don't really pay that much attention to social distancing. So. Oh, they don't? <laughs> some of them do, but some of them don't. We have, um, we have a lot of... Uh, talking across the street to our neighbors and, you know, getting in the yard together and staying several feet apart. But that we all, people always did that anyway. Yeah, we do that too. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I bought a porch for my not porch. I bought a couch for my front porch. So if I sit oh. out there, I'll see all my neighbors when they walk by or I have neighbors across the way who have a, a porch on a couch on their porch, which is where I got the idea actually. So just kind of yelling had, at each other. We had one, one instance of uh, self shaming the other week where, some of the moms on the block were going to get together in the driveway and have some drinks together, you know, cocktails outside. And one of the moms answered and said, no, I'm not going to, because I'm going to heed the, uh, the state's rec recommendations. And I, I kind of was confused by that because it seems like if you're in a driveway, you can be apart from each other. And it was, uh, it was, I think the guidance is, you know, groups of five or more are no more than five are, recommended against and so the joke was well if you don't show up then we're only five people so that's good right <laughs> we, we we did our first ordering in of uh takeout uh oh how'd that go um it went fine except that like uh it was unhealthy food and i ate too much of it so oh. like mm -hmm. it was a good for my diet oh we ordered from this 
So there's this teriyaki place near us called a Solid Modern Teriyaki, but it's actually more of a Pan-Asian place. Mm-hmm. So um, we got some sushi rolls. We got some bulgogi. We got some spicy chicken yaki udon. We got some General Tso's chicken, and uh, we got some kimchi fried rice. Yeah. yeah so that's really good. It it was good, but it's way too much food for th- for three people, one of whom is a nine year old. So um, so I just ate way too much, but it was yeah. good. I like that place. I could go for some bul- bulgogi now. Yeah. Yeah, beef bulgogi is probably one of my my favorite dishes. Yeah. Man, now I got to think about how to do that. I think we have two frozen uh, tenderloins in the freezer, but that's a lot of meat. Early, early on in the quarantine, I, I bought a, a bag of frozen um, orange chicken from the grocery store. Oh, um, cool. It was pretty good, but then my wife won't, won't let me rebuy it. She's like, no, you can't buy that stuff. I was like, not even the P.F. Chang's brand? She's like, nope. What, too too much sugar and oil or what? Yeah, it's just too – all those foods are made with really crappy ingredients. So um, P.F. Chang's is really oily. Yeah, well, there's either P.F. Chang's or, or what's the – who makes the – who sells the and chicken? Express or something? No, it's like it's worse than that. It's like Foster Farms or oh. <laughs> or one of the one of the chicken companies. It's not even an Asian company. Tyson. Yeah, something like that. It's like Tyson Orange Chicken Nuggets or something. Ugh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> it doesn't sound good when you put it that way. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Uh, it's coming up on an hour. Anything else we wanted to hit on? Let me think. Um. Give any no, questions no, no. for us? Yeah. Pretend, I guess. For, for, pretend for a minute it's your podcast and you, you get to okay. interview us. Welcome to Joanne's podcast. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's only a few minutes left, but um, what brought you both uh, to Seattle area or like the Washington area? I was in eastern Washington before. I had moved uh, from the East Coast to Washington uh, with a former girlfriend and uh, I actually got a job offer in Seattle, and uh, that was with Real Networks, and uh, they I've been here since, so about 15 years. I graduated from undergrad in Texas, and I studied math, and I got completely useless career advice um, from everyone at my college, everyone associated with my college. I got no useful career advice. Um, and so all the math professors told me to go to math grad school because that's what they did and, and it worked out for them. So um, I applied to a bunch of math grad schools. I was not and I was an OK student, but not a, like a, a stellar student as an undergrad. I didn't work hard enough. I spent too much time uh, drinking and, and chasing girls, um, not enough time studying and doing homework. Um, so I was sort of a, a middling candidate for grad schools. Um, so I did not get into most of the places I applied. The two I got into were University of Maryland in College Park and University of Washington in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone I talked to, uh, all the math professors giving me advice, said from an academic point of view, there's not a strong reason to prefer one versus the other. So if you have a non-academic reason to choose one or the other, you should go with it. Um, and I thought gosh, where do I want to live? Do I want to live in College Park, Maryland, or do I want to live in Seattle? Seattle sounds much cooler. Um, like, literally, that was that was the thought process. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I moved to Seattle. I'd actually never been to Seattle before I moved out here. Um, wow. So I just showed up, and I've been here mostly ever since. I moved down to L.A. for about three years um, in the early 2000s, but then I moved back afterwards. So um, Nice. 
but I've been here a long time. Yeah, it's uh, one of the areas that I've considered relocating to, but um, obviously with COVID-19, I'm not relocating anywhere anytime soon, but it's mm-hmm. always interesting to hear how, how people ended up where they did. So thanks for sharing that. Totally by yeah. accident. There's a lot of good things around about the area. Uh, I know. You you can blame grunge music because, like, you know, in the 90s, everyone's like, oh, man, Seattle, that's such a cool place because of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and whatever. So so I was like, oh, that must be cool out there. A lot of bike riding, a lot of of skiing, a lot of sailing and uh, stuff like that. I'm not a skier, though, and I'm not really a sailor. And mm-hmm. I'm not really a bike rider either. So, yep. So, <laughs> check, check, check. Yeah. But the weather's different. So, if you're used to Utah weather, it's it's like the opposite. Um, even the summer, the summers are fantastic, but they're they are mild in temperature. But they the cloud cover for the rest of the year is gonna would be something to get used to. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty sunny here most of the time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, being in the the cloud cover would be an adjustment for sure. That sounds nice. I like, you know, I, I grew up in sunny places, somewhat sunny, and then uh, I didn't really appreciate it. Then I moved here, and now I now I appreciate the sun when it's out. Yeah, I like going down to LA and and uh, places like that because it's. Like- I I do too, and like I was actually one of the things I like about my job is that uh you know my company's based in LA, and so before oh, COVID yeah. before COVID I was going down there about once a month, but now mm-hmm. I don't go down there anymore. Um, mm-hmm. and now I don't get to use I. I may have told the story last week, but I, I bought a platinum card so I could use all the airline lounges. And oh. now, now, now I don't get to use it, but and I'm just eating some like enormous annual fee. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, it's like the, these are first world problems, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you though. I, I love visiting LA. I don't know if I could live there permanently, but it's it's a really great place to be a visitor. Yeah, we have oh, family man. down there. I was down there either December or January and you know, the company's in downtown LA. We went out for rooftop drinks at the standard and mm-hmm. you know, my, my family called me and they're like, what are you doing? I was like, Oh, you know, we're, we're out on a rooftop drinking. How, what, how's it going at home? They're like, Oh, it's cold and like rainy and terrible. <laughs> like, oh, sounds fun. Yep. Sorry. I'm not there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything to plug on your end? Any uh, blogs or artwork or anything? Books, Twitter, um, products. Yeah, I guess uh, you could follow me on Twitter at Joanza, J-O-W-A-N-Z-A. Uh, my blog is just at joanza.com slash blog. I haven't written anything in a while, but I'm working on a long post about Apache Avro that hopefully I'll have oh, in yeah. two cool. weeks. So that'll be good for those who have to subject themselves to Avro. Um, yeah, other, really. Otherwise, yeah, nothing else to plug for my end. Right. Get, cool. get, get on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. It's it's one of those really example driven posts. So like all the text is written, but then I have to go through and painstakingly oh, yeah. add little examples and they are, they're all runnable. So I'm using uh, uh, like an interactive REPL, embeddable REPL. So cool. it's a lot of copying and pasting. It's just really time consuming. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for coming on. Good to chat with you. Glad you guys are staying safe. I hope, uh, Anything that's going poorly, you guys can manage and tolerate for the time being. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully you both uh, stay safe as well. And hopefully this will all be behind us one day. Someday. All right. Well, have a good, have a good afternoon. Thanks.
Your usual reminder that you can find the podcast at adversariallearning.com or on Twitter at adversarial underscore L or wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Joel, at Joel Gruz, J-O-E-L-G-R-U-S, and Andrew is on Twitter at A-K-M. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. But you have a clue you hang me out to try, I can see you every night.